Welcome to today's episode of CLCI Live, brought to you by the award-winning and ICF-accredited school, Certified Life Coach Institute. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hi, hello, and welcome everybody to another CLCI Live. Um, before we get started, while we are in this space, I would just want to—I want to ask a couple things of you guys who are possibly watching or will be watching. Make sure you guys please participate, leave comments, all of that good stuff. Um, we want to hear from you. We do this live so that we can hear from you. That's exactly why we do that. So please leave your thoughts and uh, questions. Anything you have that comes forward, please pop it in the comments. We will be uh, responding in real time. Might even feature your comment if it's, uh, if it's one that is featurable. Um, also, while I'm here, and if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe to our channel. Okay, that's all. <laughs> Do it now. Subscribe. It's the only way we can know that you're uh, enjoying our videos and also um, to as well uh, support support us and get notified when we release new videos. So yeah, make sure you comment like comment now while we're live so we can respond in real time and then uh, if you like what we're doing please subscribe that's all for me folks who wants to introduce today's live 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 anybody volunteers we are talking about trust and trustworthiness how coaches can be more trustworthy clients more trustworthy how to work through trust issues um how to create more trust um all about trust not the financial kind of trust that you like buy and you know cash out on later unfortunately um just the normal kind of trust so where should we begin with trust um it's always like the same opener i always ask what's the definite what do you guys think defines trust that's a weird one because i I don't know how to define trust. Try to right now. That's weird. I, I have a bunch of things like a requirements checklist, you know, I, as I'm thinking I'm, and I had not, not a relationship trust issue, but you said not financial, but financial uh, boundaries crossed. And how do you earn trust? Well, Typically, I start with trust. What is trust? Where I believe that you're not lying to me. I believe that you're not out to do harm to me. I believe that what you say is true and authentic. What else defines trust? That I don't have to overthink. Um, I, I think trust also depends on, on, on me on how I trust me as well, I would think. What were you gonna say, Brooke? Well, I, so before I looked up the uh, hard and fast Merriam-Webster definition, uh, Mir Miriam is my, my go-to uh, for choosing dictionaries. Um, I, I had some features that came through, some thoughts. Uh, it was like, well, what, what characteristics make somebody trustworthy to me? Um, and that reliability or consistency is something that uh, I think fosters trust for yeah. me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I read the Merriam-Webster definition and that helped me uh, become much clearer. So Merriam-Webster, uh, and this might help us too, defines trust as assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. Also one in which confidence is placed. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, why I started to err towards the, that thought of um, consistency, mm -hmm. you know, that that develops trust a great deal for me. Mm -hmm. um, what about Jerome and Jen and Anthony? Uh, I would say maybe defining it is a little bit more difficult for me, but we'll just kind of explaining what I do know about trust is I know it it can change. Uh, it's not something that, you know, just because you trust somebody or something in one instance doesn't mean um, that that will always be the case. Trust, um, if we're speaking in relation to coaching, is essential uh, to, to a session, um, both developing trust and um, especially 
for the coach to develop that trust and then also for the client to be receptive to that trust as well. Um, it's a two-way street. I know that. I don't think that I think that I don't think that trust is um, is truly trust if we're talking about two people or a group of people. If it isn't reciprocated throughout that group or those two people, I don't think that that's truly trust. Um, so hopefully that helps define it a little bit. I, Brooke, you gave the exact definition, the Merriam-Webster definition, so I can't do better than that. But that's what I know. I think you can. <laughs> well, I tried my best. There we go. We trust that you can. Yes. Um, um, for me, trust has a it lack when I already have trust in something, it it lacks something, um, which is I don't need constant evidence or reassurance of my trust. I need evidence and reassurance to build and gain that trust. But once the trust is already there, it's just a belief about the re reliability or I think you said character and some other thing. Um, the truth of something, I guess. So once the trust is already there, it no longer needs to have evidence supporting it every single time. Um, I'm also of the mind of trust, but verifies. You can you can trust something, but still verify if it's true or not. Um, if it's true. But that's what trust is to me, that it has this belief element that doesn't necess necessarily require evidence all the time. Um, Jen? So I can't define it either. <laughs> I'm just realizing as you guys are talking, I'm like, I don't know how to define this word at all. What I can do is tell you what I trust. Okay. What do you trust? I trust in the process of coaching to achieve results, to um, give clients answers. I trust in my client's ability to find their own answers and really lean into the process of coaching. I trust myself in my ability to hold space and uh, facilitate that exploration uh, for the client. And I uh, trust the coaching contract to have my back no matter what. <laughs> if, you, if you replaced every word that in your sentences that you just said with believe instead of trust, would it have the same meaning to you? Yes, I believe in could be replaced. I trust essentially is I believe in. I think yeah. for me, it's a little different, though. Like, I couldn't always replace I believe in with I trust. Because for me, um, I can believe in something, I guess, um, and not have it have to be proven. Um, but I feel like for me to trust something, there has to be like a proof of concept, which I don't know why that is. It's a personal choice, I guess. Um, you like, know, like an example of where that distinction is like you believe one thing, but you don't trust it. Um, yeah, do you have something off the top of your head? Let me think. Um, I think, I think what I'm hearing is not that you don't trust it. I don't, I don't hear that the build in the trust hasn't happened yet. The belief was there that it's whatever that belief is, but the trust has probably needs time to be earned. I think that's sort of time or proof, proof or evidence. Like it's for me. Uh, so there's like trust is given, trust is earned, trust are all these things that happen. Right. Um, uh, and yes, we put a quote in the Hemingway quote, Anthony, that uh, the best way to learn if you can trust someone is to trust them. And I think that that is true. It absolutely is true. But there, there comes, I, I just, I don't know. For me, like trust is something that is uh, more concrete than belief for me. <laughs> I don't know why that is. It probably shouldn't be. <laughs> so more concrete. Does that mean less wavering, less emotional? Um, I guess like the the way, um, like if I if we take this to like an um, 
if I were to take this to like a level of, okay, um, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe in something that is maybe uh, some kind of spirituality, right? I can, I, I will have to believe in that uh, for me without evidence a lot of times, right? Uh, except for maybe personal experience, evidence, things like that. Um, but it's this sort of in thing. I would not use the phrase trust for the same thought. Does that make sense? Because I feel like um, uh, for something to be trustworthy, so for somebody to be to, to be trustworthy or something to be trustworthy, there has to be uh, some kind of proof of concept. Like there's got to be a track record or there's got to be um, some things have, you know, just got to happen for me to be able to assign the trait of trustworthiness to something. So is that experience? Are you speaking more in experience as you experience? I guess so. Yeah. So um, like maybe believe I'm going to have a good time, but I can't trust that I'm going <laughs> to, but I guess I could, I mean, I really could, I could be, it's up to me, you know, but, um, I just, for me, there is a, there is a difference in that languaging. It maybe is it like a grade of like confidence then where like yeah. your a belief is like, I've got a confidence that this is true, not necessarily assured confident confidence or anything like that. Whereas trust, you have a high degree of confidence and you're assured that this is correct and true in maybe even like an objective yeah. sense like rather if, than subjective. I, if I said, I trust that I'm, I trust I'm going to get up and work out tomorrow morning. I can absolutely trust that because I get up and I do it every morning consistently. But if I were to say like, I believe I'm going to get up and work out in the morning, I feel like that's not necessarily going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> a degree of uncertainty there with just yeah. <laughs> like it is a sort of like maybe <laughs> for me trustworthiness has a much more cemented um uh you hear my kinesthetic references for you guys uh i want to say like i wanted to say like evidence you, there's my audio digitals coming through so <laughs> but uh that's what it, i mean it's got that um i put my hands out because it's like a weight to it like i can I know I'm, that's there. There, there is a um, just this solid sort of feeling when it comes to trust, like rock solid trust. So, how do you know when you're trusting yourself in that space? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that of all places, and as you share this, I'm just thinking out loud. Um, I think that that for me as a person, I can have a great deal of trust in myself, um, but I can also very easily waver my own trust in myself. Like I, the inside struggle sometimes maybe uh, might make me appear to the, if they, people could see what's going on, on the inside at times, they might not find me. They might think I'm bananas. Um, <laughs> uh, um, trust and confidence in other people Oh, I don't know really if there's a big difference between the two. Honestly, I do trust other people. Um, and I do trust myself. I, I know, and I know that's important too. So, yeah. So trusting other, it seems like trust when we talk about it, it's relational a lot of the times. Um, you have to have trust in someone or something that is capable of being flawed maybe or wavering or could go one way rather than another way like i don't need to trust that the sun is going to come up in the morning because it's just what it does in its nature it's just always going to rise and will set later on during the day don't really need to have trust in that process um trying to think but, of something else but uh one area maybe you can't is that the sun may come up but you don't know if it's going to be raining or you don't know if it's going to be cloudy and freezing and uh, you know what i mean so there's so uh, we know the trust, weather system you have to trust the weather report then which is oh, delivered that could be very in california <laughs> in colorado you don't trust it so much here 
I can trust <laughs> that it's always going to be a hot summer here. But yeah. mostly, it feels like trust is something that is relational between people. Um, it's a verb. I mean, yeah. really, truthfully, it's a it's an action. Um, mm-hmm. It is also a noun. It certainly is, but uh, depends on using the sense. It could be an adjective too. A trusty coworker. Or trustworthy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Trustworthy coworker. Um, um, one of the things too that we Lisa has touched on with me before in just other conversations is that trust is multi-leveled, and it's it's multi-leveled with people and with everything really we are capable of trusting something or someone in one area and not trusting them in another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a situational kind of thing. Um, yeah. I used to have a whole sheet with all the differentiations of the trust values. It was kind of interesting using it with couples because you could trust someone with your life <laughs> Because you know that they got your back, and then you might not trust them with your finances, right? To tell them all your detail. You would trust them with your family, but they might be the type of person who likes to jump off cliffs, right? (laughs) So where that trust value is and how that, I mean, I'm being facetious with that, but it it does play out in in a multi-level kind of um, is it a thought process i would say thought processes versus versus feeling what do you think do you think feeling or thought or both i think for me it's both i mean i think it's both it's definitely both um i think too you can you can very easily trust someone just by emotion when you have really no business trusting them yeah um, well, true. that's true that's the thing is i think we often are very trusting like we often trust just throw it out there all willy-nilly like you know what i mean and um hope for the best and 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 um it's only it's when that maybe it, that trust gets damaged that we then rein in the trust mechanisms in us and start to get sort of suspicious and start to get um less trusting and i think that that less trusting this is comes from experience i don't think i think that we're we're naturally kind of trusting uh, not everyone it depends on it yeah. i would say well i guess kids before the damage is done i think we come yeah. out sort of testing everything out and we learn through experience and uh, a very suspicious child growing up i was do, do if, if you know as you're bringing up children do shy children children who you know like hide behind the skirts of some fa- in some fashion do you do we think they don't trust yes i would say so <sighs> or I would, maybe not to that extent but there's reluctance there maybe they're um, just observing <laughs> i mean it could be i mean it's if we're talking about trust and like sureness in something, it would be the opposite, which is unsureness, which I think a lot of small children who are shy are unsure about a situation. Really? Not that it's like necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. It's just that fear of the unknown. And if there's yeah. a fear of the unknown, there's not trust there. Um, and I also, I think that trust, um, it's got to have an evolutionary construct here, right? Like there's a reason that we are cautious or it, that's or that fear mechanism comes in and everything and it's so that we don't go running off of cliffs uh except for the people who are broken um or (laughs) uh, the cliff jump yes which i would do because i you know it would be awesome but uh that that but i but that comes later i think i mean maybe not there are adventures i mean you've got some people have a more adventurous nature which i think equates to a more trusting nature in, in some regard uh and some people have a more reserved nature and that would probably make them more apprehensive and less trusting of given certain situations and certain people. And but I think that that it's all very flexible. Like we can build it and grow it. And do you, I'm asking this. It might be too soon to ask this question, but is there ever a time that it's you cannot get it back? Like it's just 
irreparable. People believe that all the time. I told you about that book. I, I, I maybe not mentioned it on, on the live. Um, John Gottman's uh, compared game theory, which should excite you and Anthony, to trust building. Um, I saw you guys had something about him today. So he says, yes, it can be rebuilt. Uh, but small steps in, in, and including the big steps don't screw up. <laughs> yeah. I think it requires a lot of willingness for somebody to participate in rebuilding that trust. Um, if you believe that the trust is gone, then it's, it's gone. If there's no willingness for you to give um, the opportunity for that trust to be rebuilt, for you to be around to kind of foster that rebuilding of the trust, uh, it, it, it won't be. Yeah, like, it's not that it's like trust can be forever broken because it's just something that can't be repaired. It's just at a certain point, a person weighs their options and doesn't feel like giving that trust to that person ever again. Um, I don't know why I thought about like cheating spouses, like plenty of times where they just separate forever and they don't trust that person ever again because an opportunity to trust never comes up again because they made the situation. That but there are, there are some that still go their separate ways, but they find bounds of trust because maybe they have a kid together and they have yeah. to figure out how to do that. And they feel like it's broken, but they find ways to repair in the spaces they need to repair uh, it. And that's the that's the deviations of the different trust values. Like I'm not going to trust you with me and my, our relationship, but I know that you're a good parent to our child, and that's where we can stay and live. I mean, that's a um, trust value, like you were speaking about before, all the different um, interactions. But trust can you have trust without a belief, though? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I, I think, think, yeah. I think I believe it's the initiating stages of trust. Yeah, a trust is a belief about something. Yeah, um, I think they are inseparable. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of a scenario where that could be true, but I'm not. I have a scenario. So I have to believe, I have to believe in my own ability to hold space for others before I can trust in my ability. And like you said earlier, trust <laughs> as an action is is i guess what i'm referring to in this example so the belief has to be there before the action of trust could you but we're we're talking about trust without belief though yeah not the other way around i, no. I here's a kind of funny example i going on an airplane you know i trust that i'll get there safely and that my pilots aren't drinking and will get me there in one piece <laughs> That, wasn't, I didn't, that didn't used to happen. To well, you. if I didn't, yeah, but if I didn't trust, if I didn't trust that that was the case, I wouldn't get on the plane. However, when I'm sitting in the plane seat, I believe I'll die a horrible, fiery death. <laughs> I believe the opposite is true, but I trust without belief and I can carry on with my life. So, but I'm wondering if there's two beliefs going on at the same time, they might be conflicting one another and that's where a coachable moment can happen, right? Hmm. So that belief that I'm gonna go up in a fiery flame in my seat, but I trust the pilot, that trusting the pilot has to be built, I think on a belief as well. Yeah, and the so, belief yeah that, that is interesting because we'll, I, ran into clients who say, I know this is true, but my actions are doing otherwise. And I constantly, you know, act as if I don't believe that is to be true. But here I am telling you, I know what is true and what I want for my life. Um, so there's contradictions in trust and belief sometimes that need to be resolved with clients. Mm -hmm. Speaking. I think that that's a really good point. So like yeah. if we're going to move into this space, I think working with clients, we're going to start to sort of, um, that's where I think coaches probably come in a lot of times is that when the trust and the belief aren't matching up, like um, I uh, believe I can do this thing, right? But I don't trust myself to do it. Like, I believe I'm capable, but I, I don't trust myself to actually, like, hold the trigger and initiate the steps. And um, 
I think it can also go the other way with people. I want to do this, um, but I don't believe I can. Um, I, I trust that I would be good at it, but I don't believe I'm capable of doing it. And I think that's the more like the emotional when we're tackling that coach the person moment comes from that. I think that if we're, if we are coaching the trust, like I don't trust that I to follow through with the steps, um, then maybe that's where we're more process oriented, but maybe that's just me applying things. Um, but I think we're also incorporating limiting beliefs with what you're saying in that limiting belief, it prevents us from leaving. We can succeed and or trusting that we can do it. So whatever side of that fence you're on that limiting belief. Mike, Mike had put into our chat. Did you watch that video guys that, um, I put it on my Facebook feed. It was an Yeah. So good. It was so good. Yeah. 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 Did you guys watch, go ahead. Did you watch the video on trust and how, where it comes from the molecule video that I put in there? Uh, the trust molecule. It was a Ted talk, uh, by a gentleman. I watched it. Yes. Yeah. He's a, I not today though. Yeah. yeah he's a, a economist, but he also has, a. he got, he basically studied at Harvard for, um, uh, neuro neuro. Yeah, there we go. And he, um, he wanted to identify what it is in us that what chemically in us causes trust, um, and morality essentially. Um, and, uh, it turns out oxytocin is our trust mo molecule. And so they found that in experiments that if they were capable of upping the oxytocin level in people, people would act with a great deal more trust. Um, and uh, they, they, the, one of the ways they experimented that is they gave uh, somebody who showed up uh, to do, be in the experiment $10. And then they said, okay, take this $10 though, and you're, you can send it to somebody else. And we will triple it when we send it to somebody else. And when they get that, you know, what is $10, which is now 30, they will be offered to send some of it back to you. Um, and so people would take their $10 and they would send part of it to the people who, and then that would become 30. And then people would then have the option to send back part of the $30 or not, uh, part of whatever that triple amount they sent. And that they found that when they upped the, the first action though, that sending the $10 is trust, an action of trust. I'm trusting that if I send this part of this $10 or this $10, whoever I send it to will get three times as much and share part of that back with me because I gave them that. So that they're trusting this person to do it. And then the person who sends it back is, is expressing trustworthiness um, because they take then take part of that 30 and they send it back. Um, what do you guys think the results were? Like how many people think, do you think sent part of the $90 or the $10, 90, the $10. And what do you think they, what percentage do you think sent like back money as well? And these are adults. You're speaking these are adults, yeah. yeah. I would assume it's in the high nineties, maybe a hundred percent of them. I was going to say the exact opposite. I don't think it's very high. I'm going to do 75 moves forward in sharing. So they found about nine, between 90 and 95% of people sent the part of the, uh, even mostly like larger amounts of the $10 and, and the same amount would send them back. And they said wow. that the 5% that didn't send any, um, they, they basically did not have oxytocin release when they were sharing. Cause what happens, the reason that there's an oxytocin release when you trust somebody yeah. and there's an oxytocin release when you reciprocate and wow. the people who did not have that chemistry in their brain did not, weren't inclined to send. And they were actually people who showed more sociopathic tendencies. Um, but people, every, I mean, almost every person in the experiment was willing to send part of their money and trust it would come back to them. So that tells you we're trustworthy people. Like we, we are, we're trusting people. Um, mind you, this is all done in first, like in, in first world countries, where they find that the instances of trust are much higher uh, than in um, like third world countries are lower instances of trust. And so it's one of the reasons that they, they, 
ascribe a lack of um, success in those areas is because there's a lot of antitrust, non-trustworthiness going on. Um, very interesting though, uh, that the, the oxytocin piece, they found too, if they gave them like a shot of oxytocin in their noses before, almost all of them would send like a full $10. Like, they were like, yeah, feel good. Let's go. I'm trusting people. <laughs> um, and, and, and it made me think, okay, well, like, I think Anthony made a joke about it. We should like hug people before we ask them to pay us for anything. Should give well, that was in the TED video. He's like, well, here's like the cheapest way to produce oxytocin. And he went up to some guy in the audience he's like, and gave him a hug. Uh, which brings us back to this topic that keeps coming up in our live videos. It's cuddle coaching and hug coaching. <laughs> I think it's a joke, but it's a quick way to build trust with your clients. Unless they don't like hugs. But that, Anthony, you just said quick way to build trust with your clients. So I think that that brings us to an important yeah. question is what role does trust play for us as coaches, for our clients? Um, I'm stacking questions, so let's pick one. <laughs> the main reason, like, like probably the main driving factor, and it's probably a very selfish one, is that the more easily someone trusts you, the more easily they're willing to dip into their wallet and pay you money. Um, so if you're a coach and you don't have a lot of experience, you're not certified or have any sort of training, uh, nobody knows who you are, some you're going to be hard pressed to find a client who's willing to pay thousands of dollars for a 36 month package. They're not going to trust you. It's you're not really going to get anywhere. However, if let's say you've got 20 years of coaching, you've got a list of clients who will sing your praises and they're high profile too. And you've got a lot of training in your belt. People are far more willing to trust you and listen to what you have to say. Um, Trust is something with strangers, at least, when they're trying to pay you money, it's something that's built. You don't really get it immediately. So it's like, situations you do are rare. It, it's like that overnight success bands, right? There's no such thing. <laughs> there, there's no, no band is an overnight success. A band usually has about 10 years under its belt, and then all of a sudden... Uh, the stars aligned and the music came together. We've had that conversation before. So well, building your practice becomes an important uh, foundation of what your experience is. Go ahead. Somebody was saying something. I think this is a huge thing where consistency comes in too. Uh, yeah. Consistency is a huge generator of trust. Um, mm -hmm. And that's even all the things that Anthony mentioned. Uh, if you've got a coach that's worked with this kind of client, if we take Lisa, Lisa has a tremendous amount of experience coaching uh, people in relationships, being a relationship coach. Um, she's got a track record. Being in a relationship. And she's got people that will vouch for her. And she will, um, not only that, but she's been consistent in what she does and her marketing. I'm a couples coach. I coach couples. I This is what I do. And she, you know what you're getting when you go to her brand. It's not... It's there, um, and you know everybody knows what they're there to do. Uh, there's no question, and there's a de definite sense of consistency. I assume she probably shows up to her sessions and she does all of these things right, where she's being consistent with her clients um, and and in her marketing and in everything. Her message: This is what I do, um, and that builds a tremendous amount of trust with our clients. If we see that, if you have a coach that's out there talking about 15, 20 different things. Um, I don't know what to trust, right? I and, lose it. And you really can't because there's no one person that's the expert of everything. And when you list all of those things, it becomes a value of less trust because there's no way I want to go to someone who doesn't know a lot about a topic, you know, if we say couples or marketing or whatever the or is, the idea is to be consistent, as Brooke was saying, to be, um, um, have the message that builds the trust. There, there's this book called Know, Like, and Trust. It's in that marketing. It's so that you're building that client um, connection 
for them to know, like, and trust you. And hopefully even before they even come in to see you to have that trust value, belief value. And then it just exponentially, as you go down to the coaching behavior uh, mindset. Um, I mean, there's so many things that come into play too. I, if we're somebody who is consistently talking about a message, um, the the believability is there for so many reasons because we know oh wait you found what you're good at you found what you can talk about and that's what you keep talking about if you're uh jen put in thing coaches with constant rebounds brands equals untrustworthy and, and it's true because all i'm thinking is obviously that whatever you were doing before wasn't working because now you got to switch it up and now oh wait switching again so that's not working either so it looks like not a lot is working um where i mean this is just me being honest so if i see you out there putting it out there and putting it out there and maybe you know it's not like a rebrand but maybe you're you're always doing the same thing like you're always helping the same person but maybe you're flexing into different marketing spaces or you're trying out a different way to talk to your client that's not going to for me be a problem with hurting trust but if that um if what you're doing uh, at its core is is the same, who you're helping at its core is the same, the problem you're working on is the same, I'm gonna trust you to be able to solve that problem. Um, I had a bowl, a bowl in front of me right now from lunch and I was like, we, I, I think of people as like, there's only so much we can fill a bowl with, right? Like there's only so much we fill a bowl for. So if we fill this bowl full of a specific knowledge, um, you know, if I want, cereal i'm gonna fill this with cereal um uh and and milk probably but i don't want something that's got like cereal and ice cream and broccoli and you know like all these things mixed into it it's like i would rather have a whole bowl just full of cereal thank you <laughs> um, well the consistency if you were having a salad you probably wouldn't mind the broccoli right because that goes together with what you are <laughs> we're, we're talking about uh, marketing and branding, but we're taking it to eating and that eating has a consistent different tools that it assists your taste buds to enjoy. <laughs> exactly. So essentially people want consistency. They want to see consistency. And I was thinking about this in terms of like job interviews and applications. When you apply for a job and their uh, employees looking at your resume, they want to see like a consistent sort of work schedule. They don't want to see you changing around jobs every single year or having a big long gap in your resume because that's a red flag right there. Same thing with the coaching and your business. Um, they People want to see consistency because, I mean, I don't want to open my wallet and take a chance and lose money on something that I'm not sure of. Um, and you brought up schedule too. That, that's another point too. If we're speaking to coaches, being consistent with your client, like being available, consistent, certain, you know, the same time each week for your client, uh, that becomes important <laughs> um, in these spaces. Okay, we're going to meet this time every week, and, and creating those patterns, creating that, all of that generates trust. It's something so simple. But I have worked with coaches that weren't capable of, of uh, you know, being consistent with time, being consistent with showing up, being consistent. And, and that is so damaging to trust for clients. Like that is so very damaging to trust. Yeah. Um, so as a coach then, if, let's say I'm coming into this new as a coach. I haven't really had a lot of experience either running my own business um, or coaching and I just got certified and I need to build some trust to get clients in the first place because they may feel like I'm either spinning my wheels or I need trust to gain more trust to gain more trust. So how do I start at first? You book an appointment with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, because but this is often something that comes up in my, my 30 minute sessions is uh, they're literally that people coming in and them going, I, where do I, I don't know who, where do I begin? Where do, how do I do this? And so often the answer is right there. You know, it's a big blinking sign. And, and a lot of times it's us doing an exploration of, um, well, who's your client? Okay. Who in your life, in your life, in your professional life, in your, is this client, 
how do you tap into that client? How do you reach that client? How do you find that person and connect with that person? And um, uh, what has to be said to them for them to start to trust you and beyond? And that's when you start for, to build out saying tools for them. Um, and this is uh, not only if you, you can pull from a warm market, if you've already, if you're somebody that's already got a great, had a thriving um, business or success as something, and there's all these people that trust you, I would say go there. What can, how can you utilize those people who already have a trusting relationship with you, even though it's in a new space, but put it out there and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. The other flip side is start building trust by helping and giving. So that's where doing things like creating tools, blogs, talking, um, all of these things, what we're doing right now generates trust um, uh, for people. We are, we are putting our faces out there. So important. Showing your face is so critical for trust. Um, uh, it really is. I regret it sometimes putting my face out there on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, faces on your brand are so important. Um, it's not just, but it's also not just, it's being authentic in that space. Mm. Because if you become a pretender in some fashion, that, that pretender you're going to, it's going to be uncovered. Well, and I, one of the, oh, Jen, I see you. So it's like you're describing showing up as a coach, embodying I'm a coach and in everything you do, whether it's in person, whether it's on social, in your marketing, you are showing up embodying that you're a coach. Yeah, I think it, and it's being able to, 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 to sell yourself first. No. Um, and, and also I think that's one part of it. I don't want to say that's the whole thing. That is so critical though, to be able to put yourself out there and go, this is what I do. I can help you. I, I can help these people. I, this is what I'm passionate about. I can talk all day. So it's, I think I'm relatively confident when I start talking about marketing, when I start talking about branding. Um, I think that comes through very naturally for me. Um, and that's because I have a confidence there. I know I can talk. Are there other realms that I would love to coach? Absolutely. But if I'm going to utilize the this sort of format of expertise that I already have, that's the place I'm going to go first. Um, the other, though, portion of this that can it hugely generate trust, and I'm, I'll ask you guys this instead of just giving you the answer. Um, has there ever been... Um, something that you read or um, a tool that you were given that was just really powerful for you that's out there on the internet? Yes, of course. Name one. (laughs) Um, I mean, I can think of a billion. (laughs) Pick one. (laughs) Um, So like, coaching language in general. I had never heard coaching language before I became a coach or well, before I started working with a coach, I'll say. So just like one question, how does that serve you? I had never heard that question in my entire life. And when I heard that question, I was like, oh, wait, I can ask that. Oh my God. Wait, how does this serve me? Oh my God. It was like, it changed. It opened up so many possibilities from one single question. So where did you hear that question? Um, I've heard it from a lot of coaches. It's a popular coaching question. (laughs) Can you remember where the first time you heard it? Like who said it? Um, Probably the first coach that I really uh, interacted with and ended up hiring. Ah, ding, 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 right? was there anything else that coach was doing or, or giving um like were that coach were the, did they have blogs did they have tools did they have yes so she, I, not necessarily like a blog but she was sharing a lot on social okay. and okay. i would really resonate with a lot of what she was saying to the point where it was like oh my god is she talking to me i think she's talking to me and that makes you, how did that make you feel? Like she was the person for me. Like she was the coach that I wanted to work with, that she would be able to collaborate with me, work with me in a way that that I was seeking because she spoke my language. 
And then she shared a new language, which helped me. <laughs> <laughs> On a scale of one to 10, where were you in trusting her? If 10 is trusting and one is not trusting. Oh, I trusted her at a 10. At a 10. Yeah. My, and my guess is that you didn't feel like you were all by yourself, meaning that there's others like you because she had the ability to reach out and grab you. Mm -hmm. The comfort of her knowing your predicament with whatever it is that she said, that trust value probably even went higher than maybe somebody else's. I think a huge part, mm -hmm. something that Jen said was she spoke my language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's huge. Like that, that talk about generating trust. What does that mean for us when we speak, when someone speaks our language? It makes trusting someone so much easier because that connection's already there. Um, if it, like Jen was speaking, if it feels like someone's speaking to you, then I personally, I believe that they, they are speaking to you. Um, you have that connection already. You're not fumbling through trying to understand um, exactly what they mean when they say something that isn't necessarily on par with the standard or the general um, way of saying something or speaking it. Um, you get them. You understand them. You feel like they're your friend uh, in a sense, I feel like, prior to even maybe having met them or had a conversation with them. It's amazing how feeling like that can just create instant trust. Like, mm -hmm. um, I think of my, like the times when I met somebody and we just clicked, you know, right. we just jived, like it just made sense. Like, this is just, this is easy. This isn't work. This is awesome. Like we just get it. Um, and, uh, that's like a, a weird instant place of instant trust. Mind you, I've had those moments where I should not have trusted that person. <laughs> um, but, but how powerful is it to speak somebody's language and connect with them and that is such a that is a tool that we absolutely talk about a lot um, in coaching so for the new coaches out there who are maybe writing copy or putting themselves out there what do you guys mean actually when you say speaking the same language because I, I mean not literally speaking the same language but how do i know i'm speaking the same language as my clients well, I have a way I whittle this down with people. And I mean, that's really, I get to like the, the, that heart of the matter, you know, that's why I'll take it down. Like, okay, what, what is your client saying to themselves when nobody else is around in their words? So, you know, uh, that's where it starts to come out. I, did we, I was working with somebody, it was so powerful when she said it, um, and she said it was something she was a mother and she was she oh it was that uh, she wanted to this was she was wanted to be a coach she wanted to work with moms that had um a a child that was neurodivergent that was suffering from either adhd or autism or something in these spaces and how it can be very exhausting for the moms because their whole lives end up rotating around their kids and it ends up creating resentment and she had this really powerful moment where I got goosebumps because she said something that moms probably would not be willing to say out loud. And, and, but it's what this mom was thinking and, and yeah. And she was like, you know, I, I want to love my kid. I want to love my kid again. That's what she said. It's what I, I want to love my kid again. Yeah. And it was like, whoa, powerful. Mm -hmm. And when you take that, that's like raw emotion right there. That is like, I'm, that is what she is feeling at her most defeated. Right. But what do we learn from that? I want to, I want to love my kid again. Well, we learn what her deepest in, inner desire is, right. What her greatest fear is. Um, and we're able to say it in a way she understands and connect with her. If she's, if I'm a coach as I'm getting tears, like this was like, <laughs> but if me as a coach and I say, you will love your kid again, mm -hmm. I have just spoken her language and sa I've said it in her words and I've given her hope so simply. Um, 
and that's where I it becomes when I start to say speaking language it becomes so important in these spaces getting to those raw emotional moments becomes so important in these spaces so that we can because if I say I work with moms who suffer from kids who have ADHD or you know have kids with ADHD or neurodivergent and uh, to help them um, uh, figure out how to uh, enjoy life again and see their future you know and it becomes very convoluted but when I say you'll learn to love your kid again or you will mm -hmm. you've just cut through a whole lot of fat and gotten right to the heart of the issue and we're speaking their language mm -hmm. i want to develop the idea of speaking someone's language to to even begin to speak someone's language there needs to be a shared experience to have a shared language which i i got thinking like you know like on i guess sitcoms or tv shows when like the parents trying to relate to their children and ends up using like the same like slang that they do and it comes off like very embarrassing, <laughs> cringy. Yes, yes. The reason why that doesn't work is because there's not a shared experience behind the shared language. Yeah. You can very tell it's artificial and used in a cringe-inducing way to try to achieve some end. So if I said, I'm a coach who works with mothers of neurodivergent uh, children, and by working with me as your coach, you'll learn to love your kid again, that language might not work so well for me because I've never been a mother and I don't have children. There's not, there's not a shared experience that I'm relating or a genuine experience that I'm relating, even though I'm using my client's language, they would use the same thing, but coming from me, it is not going to have the same effect. Right. Which is why I'm taking off my coach hat and putting on my advice hat try to develop a niche where you have shared experiences with your clients. And I think, uh, I think so it doesn't have to be necessary because I think we can, we can achieve the same thing yeah. if we have experience, just experience like professional experience. So I think yeah. in, with, with a lack, when you're lacking professional experience, when you don't have that professional experience, so we can't say, you know, I have, uh, I've been doing this in this field, you know, I, I, I was a therapist for, you know, 20 years, I've got a PhD in X, Y, and Z, all these things. When you don't have that, what we can then move to is a speaking from personal experience and speaking from this personal shared experience. And that's where that comes in. It can be very powerful um, and, and create that trust because this person has been through what I've been through. They get me, they've seen it, they've done it, they figured it out. And I want to get that from them. I can also do the same thing. This person is an expert in this. They've been working with people. They've helped all these people. And I want to get that from them. So like yeah. you start to see where these trust elements become very important in different ways you can create them. Which um, is why we like, we always hammer home, be specific in your niche so that at least some form of trust can be built with the shared experience or personal experience. Because if you say, I'm a life coach who I'll work with you and you'll find a sense of fulfillment and happiness. Well, and mostly everybody has the, the shared experience of being happy, but that doesn't tell me a whole lot about how I can trust you to achieve that or, you know, really much anything else aside from that. So that's why narrowing that down, that language down builds trust because you're being more specific with what experience you have to help me as a client. And also, if you're the coach that doesn't have a lot of experience working with these people, every step that you're taking, if every blog you write, every post you put is making more experience. Like you're getting more, like you're showing, okay, I'm working in this field. You're, you're building a catalog at that point, right? Um, I will say this where I, I can tell you areas where I immediately question experience with people and and it's one of the things that comes up often is coaches coaching coaches um uh who come out and they finish a coaching program and then they automatically turn around and start coaching other business or be, create their business on how i will help you build your business but they have never had a successful business themselves and i that's immediately for me i'm like i don't trust this like i'm like um i don't and that's because for me there's not there's no experience there you've not built a business yourself you don't have expertise you have not like like where is the proof in the pudding and you're not sharing any kind of experience with me um and, and whether it be personal 
professional or uh, expertise wise. And so I think that, I mean, it's very important to have that. It is very important to have that. I, I the, the experience, it's yours these days, Brooke, but I've had it as well, where those coaches will come in and go, I know, I, and, and then they'll be asking you, and I'm confident they've asked you a lot of marketing questions. And then they turn around and use that, those tidbits that you've shared as if they already knew this. It's don't, don't pretend, don't be a pretender. <laughs> and that's that authenticity piece yeah. too. Jen, think, you had your hand raised. Yeah, Jen. Oh, yes, yes. Um, so the shared experience, two things came to mind. One is that if I know you've been through something I've been through, I get a sense of safety, of non-judgment. The other thing is that it gives me a sense that you have some level of authority to be a thought leader in this niche. So those are the two things for me that came to mind with, with shared experience that I think are, are very valuable in, in terms of building trust. You have to be careful with that when you're using it in your coaching session, when you're on your logs or you're on your website or you're mm -hmm. using it in that marketing, that's something different. But when you're in an actual coaching session, rarely, rarely do you need to have that um, be stated. However, you know, like a lot of different tools, there's a time and a place to adapt and adapt the tool that's going to best serve that client. So will there be at times a place for a quick sharing? Maybe that stuff that they've gotten all out outside of the actual session, because you really want to not color their picture. You're really trying to help them gauge what their process is, not do your process. Well, and so what's interesting too, though, is where I think that the waters get muddied a bit sometimes yeah. is a lot of us go to um, these other big name coaches that do uh, short programs where like you're going in, they're going to teach you a concept. We're all going to get in a room. We're going to coach on it. We're going to, you know what I mean? And it's always billed as coaching because once you're in like this group environment, there is sort of this expectation of teachable moment shared experience or something like that. And then the coaching happens. Um, and it, I think that that's, there's like this weird space of, of, um, well, when do I get to utilize this experience and create a program and create a program people can ascribe to it. And, and, um, uh, I think that, that, or a process that people go through. Um, and, and I know as a marketer, I'm like, Oh, if you can patent your process, that's fantastic. Right. <laughs> um, but, but, um, at the same time, I know true coaching, uh, that's just a weird gray area that happens. Um, if you look at PQ school, like if we take PQ school as an example, um, he's specifically working with coaches. He's giving coaches all these tools. He's doing all these things very much with coaches, but his program is very much a led program. Uh, and so I think that that's, it's this weird space. Um, and I don't know what the right line is to do with that <laughs> to, um, sometimes. I think that I know that in marketing, get it out there, put it out there, help as much as you can. And I think that maybe that's what a lot of us think of um, the group experience, at least for me, is the group experience is sort of the marketing that leads into the one-on-one -on -one, uh, typically. Um, I wanted, to, we're running out of time right now, yeah. but there's some, there was something I wanted to sort of end off with is what about trust freely given um, from coaches, I guess, to clients. I think that's usually the case where we go in trusting our clients um, to have their best interest in mind and then work with them and partner with us. Um, I don't know if there's a lot of proving that they need to do to us because we are, a, we're not connected and we're not reliant on their results for our satisfaction. Um, whether they say whether they get their achieve their goals or not is a bit independent of us as coaches. 
so you're asking what trust we extend to our clients yeah i trust that they will show up <laughs> i trust that they will pay um i also trust that that uh they will come they'll be honest in that session yeah. with me yeah i don't overthink it i mean it's just like jen said earlier trust the process i just i just know you know where i am and we're and them sharing and and i know the process works seen it lots of times i think that's so much of what we we teach our students is learning to trust the client learning mm -hmm. that the client to trust that the client has the answers to trust that the client uh you yep. don't have to give them the answers to trust that they know already to trust that they can figure it out to trust that they will do the work to trust that you know all of these it's really we are just constantly trying to teach our our coaches to trust their clients um yeah i think some some there's there's a minor amount very small amount that they don't they don't get into this process because they think they need to save and rescue the target that they're working with and that's not trusting your client no it's not it's not empowering them it's not building letting them build on their own self-esteem it's being what it is is allowing them to be dependent on you in an emergency that's a different situation right in an emergency you know yes we have to do things that protect us and get us in a safe space but we don't need to be in an emergency with coaching we, we're empowering that client to be self-sufficient and find their path so that they can rebuild and continue that neural connection and, and build that path of trusting themselves that they can figure it out. Sorry, got a little on the bandwagon there. <laughs> Final thoughts, guys? Okay, trust. Trust is an important place for you the coach to be in for yourself as well as your client and to trust the process you're working with jerome i'm thinking final thoughts i wish we had time i kind of wanted to touch on um here i, I guess i can just kind of throw that in there um maybe a tip to help with gaining trust uh maybe more specifically as a coach, um, your presentation, that's important. Um, so I would say try not to show up to your meetings um, with holes in your shirt or anything like that. <laughs> um, just again, as a closing thought, uh, closing tip, you wanna make sure that you're presenting yourself as someone that they think that they can trust. Uh, otherwise, I think you're slowly deteriorating that trust. Uh, final thought for me, which adds on to what Jerome said, be a trustworthy person. Um, be someone that, you know, does good by their client and acts ethically and consistently uh, because you can present yourself as a trustworthy person. Uh, you can present yourself as a trustworthy person and, you know, have ul ulterior motives. Um, that's going to show through eventually. It's not going to get you that far especially in the coaching space where everybody's highly empathetic and sensitive um, to each other's intentions and intuition. So be a trustworthy person. It'll work out for you. Jen. Um, trust the process, trust your client, trust your own ability. And yeah. You'll appreciate that. You know, Trust whatever happens too. like trust. I don't know. Sometimes I think whatever surfaces in that, in that coaching container is, is meant to be, it's for the client. And even if they don't know in that moment, what the value is, it, that value can trickle around in their life in another way. You could have hit upon a, a root of a tree rather than a branch or a leaf. And it affects the whole tree. It affects their whole life. So just trust that the work you do in the coaching session is more valuable than either of you can know sometimes. 
and, and it's not based on your advice. Right. Right. Brooke, final thoughts? Trust that your cat will clean themselves in the background. <laughs> um, I think that Jen took the words right out of my mouth, which is, you know, it's trust, trust the process, uh, trust yourself, and also trust the client. Trust the client, trust the client, trust the client. And furthermore, um, and maybe this is more philosophical or something, but uh, trust trust that you it'll be okay like yeah. trust that it'll be okay um whatever that may be or may mean for you um but i think that's a, a important way to refine zen I, I think we we lose our trust when we're panicking we lose our trust when we're in fear state we lose our trust when we you know things are out of our control but if you find a way to just sort of find that centered moment and trust that it'll be okay. You can sort of return back to a state of, of sanity and, and find the, the places to trust and how to proceed and, and et cetera, um, which really comes back to trusting yourself ultimately. So um, trust is important. Trust can be built. <laughs> trust can be given, trust can be lost. But uh, it's kind of cool that it's something that is so um, malleable as well. And if you want to be a trustworthy life coach, be sure to take our three-day courses. Um, you can be certified as a certified life coach and earn the trust of your clients and um, build your repertoire of coaching. Um, with that, we'll see you guys all next week. And Make sure uh, if you guys are watching... Make sure that you guys follow, subscribe, like, yep. comment, yep. share. Share this with someone you trust. Please. Yep. Yes. Yep. 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 Or maybe somebody you don't. Yeah. <laughs> share with an enemy. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Once again, this is brought to you by Certified Life Coach Institute. We're an ICF accredited school who certifies our life coaches in three-day online intensive courses. In addition to other podcast episodes, feel free to check us out every Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time on YouTube or Facebook for our CLCI Lives, where we get together and discuss various topics that are centered around sharpening your skills so you can become a better certified life coach. For more information, feel free to visit us at certifiedlifecoachinstitute.com. Until next time, be well.